Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much again for sharing your time with us. Hope you guys are having a great weekend out there. If you guys haven't tapped into our community yet, you guys are missing out on the action. I see so much craziness going on on the Facebook page, on our Spark the, on our Start the Spark Club. Um, man, folks are taking some action out there, just networking, connecting, uh, asking questions, and uh, and even looking for properties, man. I mean, this is great. So uh, so make sure that you tap into the community if you haven't yet. All right, you can see the links to our Facebook page down below. Also, link to our Start the Spark Club. Um, you know, yeah, just come reach out, man, and have some fun. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. We've got an awesome guest today, and I can't wait to introduce him. Hey, hey, Freedom Fighters. Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Super excited to have Christopher Griffith here. He is a Marine veteran, but once a Marine, always a Marine, right? And uh, and he's an amazing guy, a lending broker, and, and just a smart, smart, intelligent guy. And he's got a lot of awesome information to share with you. So, Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, man, just having some coffee and crayons over here this morning. How are you? Coffee and crayons, yeah. Sounds, sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds like the staple. Hey, no, man, doing good. Doing really good over here. It's a little cold here in uh, in Virginia right now, but um, it's not bad. It's kind of warm in the house, so all good. Nice, man. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Give me a chance to visit with you a little bit about the kind of the value add that I have. The things I like to try to share with people, um, I think you all have an amazing platform for informing people. I think the biggest uh, the the biggest opportunity right now is for those of those other people out there that have a voice and have something genuinely, uniquely valuable to say, need to be saying it and speaking up. And y'all are doing that. Y'all are helping a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that aren't trained necessarily to think in a, uh, a profit kind of a motive, a cost motive, right? There's no balance sheets in the military, right. <laughs> but y'all are doing a really good thing. And if I can do anything to add value, I certainly want to, man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for those kind words. And uh, and you're pretty active on our Facebook group. So for those of you who have may have seen uh, some of what uh, Chris has been sending out, it's great information. He's got a lot of great insight, and uh, and I'm excited to have him share some of it on the podcast. So so Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your military background and how you got started investing? Absolutely. So like how like a two minute snippet? <laughs> no, man. Go ahead. Talk as long as you need. Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, went to college on a full ride French horn scholarship. That part's probably significant. Was there for six months, drank and drunk eight days a week. Um, grandma asked me what I was going to school for. She meant major. And I was like, had this life changing moment. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to school for. So the next morning I go to the recruiting office, chewing some Copenhagen, walked into the Air Force recruiting office after talking to my brother-in-law who was a Marine. He was like, go to the Air Force office, man. Trust me. Like we're cool. The Marines is cool, but go to the Air Force office. I know, dude, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> my life insurance. Yeah. Yeah. I quit because like there was a return on it. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
you know, I'm going to save the money and it's going to pay me like, this is dumb. I, I'm done. Okay. Um, but went to the recruiting office, big old fat air force guy was like, you're going to need to spit that dip out. You want to talk to me? So on my way out of his office to go spit the dip out, look into the other room, four Marines chewing. So like I wave at fatty, walk into the Marine Corps office. No joke. No joke, Mike. Two hours later, I'm in Dallas. Copenhagen changed my life. I should have spit the dip out. Nicer everything, right? Anyway, no, but I love the Marine Corps. Went to the Marine Corps, spent eight years in there. I uh, spent my first probably about four, three and a half, four, um, where I did two, two, six mews that we talked about mm-hmm. um, as a comm guy for something called a Marine Air Traffic Control mobile team. So we do the six-man airfield setups, TLZs, NEOs, all kinds of little cool stuff, and it was away from everybody else, which was really important for me. Um, I don't like a lot of people in big groups. It's <laughs> idiots, right? Um, I mean, Navy on a boat, you know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Shots fired, huh? <laughs> you want to you screw with some people on a, on a boat in the Navy? Here's all you have to do. Take three guys and have them stand in random places on the bulkhead facing a certain direction by a hatch. I guarantee you people will line up behind them. You don't have to tell them anything. They don't have to be doing anything. They have earbuds in just standing there. And I guarantee you they're going to start a line. Yeah. Well, you know what? How to mess with a bunch of Marines on a ship too. You call lunch or any chow call a little bit early and just have them wait in line because they will wait in line for that food. Cause that's literally all you guys do on the ship. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, Hey Marines, we need people to come hold furniture so the Navy can, you know, sweep underneath it or something. Yep. Yeah, Copenhagen changed my life. <laughs> Four years as an air traffic control human or uh, Comtech and did the uh, MMT little facet of that the entire time I was in. Um, Lat moved over to a really cool field, O two eleven counterintel, human intel. Super awesome stuff. Ultimately, got through all of that. Got ready to pump over there. Um, went to a couple places and a and a like in a very unsexy way. And this is probably one of the hardest things that I have to say in front of people like my back. I had a, an annular tear in my L5S1 and three herniations stacked above that. I pushed that for a long time, had a femoral acetabular impingement, which is a fancy way of saying my hip socket screwed up a little bit. And then the cartilage in my knee broke down. So my right leg is like literally three quarters of an inch short. Dang. And I didn't think that, I thought back problems were like for guys trying to get out of stuff. So I never got it addressed, man. I didn't think, it was a legitimate thing. And then on my way to jump school, I get back from Sear, can't get out of bed for like a whole weekend, go have an MRI. And that's when for me, a black hole of despair starts. Like it was two years of shit, shit from the community I was a part of um, because I reenlisted into it. You have to be chosen and recruited into it. So, so there's some guys um, that, that felt like, um, you know, you didn't level up or you didn't add up. So like, and like, and, and wholeheartedly, and I say this, and I don't use this word very often, like, but to all those guys out there, I just say with really humble heart, like, fuck you. I gave everything I had. I'm sorry that my body didn't take me far enough, but fuck you. You need to feel that in this area. Right. And I probably won't use that word again um, anyways. But, and I say that because all of you people out there, all of you veterans that are hurting and you have guilt or shame and you're not getting it addressed. I'm 33 now. This was all when I was 27. I have three daughters. I can't recall the last time I bathed one of them in a bath. I don't bend over to pick them up. I don't jump on trampolines with them. You lose a lot more than you think when you're a dumbass 27 kid, young kid. So take care of your bodies. Get them checked out. Don't be so proud that you think that a, a, a small injury can up. It happened, add up. It happened to me. And ultimately, I got medically retired. So for me, that started a downward kind of a spiral. I didn't want a retirement. I finally was where I wanted to go. 
I chose my first job because when I told you I walked into that recruiting office, one of the Marines in there had partied at the college and he let me choose my job based off of the bonus. So I chose a $5,000 bonus job. And then I went left to find out what I was going to be doing for the first four years of the Marine Corps. Don't do that either. Wow. Oh, no. Please don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy though, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely a lot. And I think you're right, dude, honestly, I I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't apologize for that. You know, I think a lot of people take for granted the fact that we do do a lot of rigorous stuff in the military. And I try to tell guys, like, even if all you do for four, for five, for eight years is 100% give your body to every training, every event, every PT session, that's going to break you down, man. You don't understand the shelf life that you have on your body when right. you're a kid. That's true. Like it, 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 and it's significant in that, you, you know, you, you have to walk for like 60 more years, guys. You, I know you're not thinking, hey, I'm going to have to walk for 60 years, but as a function, you're going to have to do. Like my feet still cuss me for that statement being true. So I just want to say, mm. like you wasted all my walking power then. <laughs> so back to that, though, I used a reenlistment bonus that I got when I was in the Marine Corps that came tax-free because I was deployed when I reenlisted, and I bought my very first um, house at that point, actually. I was 24. I was married. We bought an investment property in Colorado because it was 2007, 2008. I was in North Carolina, Jacksonville. Mm. I'm not buying a house. I told you earlier, the prospects were terrible. I could see it coming. I'm a framer's son. I know what housing markets do and what causes them to do it right. So I didn't buy. We bought that investment property. Great cash flow, great equity gain. And it was a little bit different because they, once I got retired, I did have that one investment property. Um, as you know, I told you we moved into a spec house that my family had built in 2008. This was in the end of 2011. It hadn't sold yet, and it wasn't 100% complete. So I moved in there with the understanding that I would finish completing it because, again, I was a framer son, right? Um, and I would also work for them to look for an apartment to purchase because they were trying to put together a company and stand up a company that invested in 100 unit plus multifamily properties. Wow. So that's kind of a quick eight year run through and I'll stop there and let you dissect and walk through the portions of that that you want. But I hope that was kind of what you were wanting. No, that there's was, a lot after that too. Yeah. We no, still got, no worries. We still got plenty of time. Broker, like a couple more apartments, houses, like there's, it's been a freaking <laughs> insane six year ride. It's that's been about a, as bad as a conversation. <laughs> you are a trip, man. You are an absolute trip. Guys, I'm telling you, this this guy's great. So, <laughs> so okay. I mean, so you, you got started with, some, with five grand that you had in your pocket, right? You bought your first investment, which is awesome. Um, was your wife on board with this with real estate? Did, did it take a little bit to kind of uh, get her into into doing it with you or not? The five grand was a reenlistment bonus I got in the very beginning. And that's how I picked my very first job in the Marine Corps. That wasn't the reenlistment bonus. Oh, okay. Got it. That bonus was larger. I really don't want to disclose. Um, Honestly, it was a good bonus. Yeah, no worries. That's part of the problem that some of my community guys had. Like after two years in the the, uh, deal before I pumped, all of that happened and I got a bonus and like I told them, like, gosh, do you think the Marine Corps wanted me to keep that bonus? Like, they don't let you give it back. There's not a box to check. And I, I didn't make it, right? Anyway, so that bonus was larger, and I used uh, I used it at that point. Um, what had happened was, so we had a lease option program still operate it that 
states and most states and, and some states it changes like Texas requires a different period. And at all, all the states, the significance around the lease option program for anyone watching and curious about it, it seems to be the most significant feature is implied ownership, especially if you're receiving some sort of a down payment. Each state has their own metric. Texas, I think you have to renew the option every six months. I'm still working on that one now. I don't operate there. Double check with an attorney. But everywhere else, it seems you're okay at a year lease or two year leases, even in certain places. So long as the lease is separate from them, the option agreement would specifies potential owner owner interest once they exercise their option for their down payment that they're putting initially up front. And that actually can then be credited future wise toward their down payment. But it's important because they do not have ownership. And this is significant because along with their 10% down, you have 15% down. And if they stop paying, you need a way to make certain that you're protected. So all of these operating states where there's like three-day notice to vacates, there's a quick reaction to get our funds and our investor or ourselves protected and taken care of. But that whole implied ownership interest is probably the most significant feature to um, operating a lease option program. Because if you if you're deemed to have crossed that threshold, then technically you're in for probably a slugfest and they could stop paying. They could do a lot of stuff and you couldn't kick them out or evict them because really in certain situations. Yeah. In certain States, especially that's, that's pretty the, the pretty much the most difficult dynamic. So you want to pick a state that's friendly to landlords and you want to pick a state and understand how they imply ownership around these situations. Uh, because if you pierce that, it's much like uh, if you have an LLC and you're moving all funds willy nilly to your personal bank account, guess what you've just done. You've pierced the LLC threshold yeah, on corporate veil, right? Here's the corporate veil. Like there's no cherry anymore. It's gone. That's it's, true. It's gone. It's gone. It's once and for everything. So. That's very true. And guys, if you if you guys don't know what we're talking about with this corporate veil, we had an awesome podcast with Garrett Sutton. I'll put a link down in the show notes page for that too. But make sure you understand how that works and how you can protect it legally. All right. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. That's a good point. Um, so when you say landlord friendly states, right, what do you mean by that? Cause I think that's a very esoteric, you know, concept in and of itself, but I don't think a lot of our listeners may understand. It's hard to say because every state's a little different here, but let's say, mm-hmm. are you familiar with New York landlord stuff? A little bit. I'm, I'm from the state, but yeah. Okay. So perfect. If you want to evict a tenant in December, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to have to try and fight it in court. It's got what, like six, I think they're either six months or like a full year. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? It's December too. So, yeah. So what if they haven't been paying for two months? Can you evict them faster? No, right. You still sounds go pretty the shitty situation for a landlord. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Colorado here. Let's talk about Colorado because I've done it a few times. Right. Three-day notice to vacate, man. Play some Bone Thugs. It's the first of the month, baby. I don't care. It's the first of the month. First of the month. You know what happens here, right? That's what I love about debt because once you understand debt, debt is obligating, and it doesn't allow for emotional stuff. It doesn't allow for personal favor stuff. Sometimes there's some different, and we'll get into that, who's really obligated more, the borrower or the lender, because my opinion, as a debt expert, as the owner of a brokerage, a person who uses the bank, the lender is the person most obligated when you've debted properly. And to the people that don't think that, I would just say, man, you don't know debt. <laughs> wow. All right. Very well. But yeah, no, I mean, that's that's good stuff. That is good stuff. And make sure that you guys understand 
<clears throat> the laws around your states when it comes to uh, finding tenants and and having to go through that eviction process because it can be very difficult in some states. So um, I want to be clear too. I don't. I'm not trying to say like, guys, I want to kick someone out in the winter. That's not what I'm trying to say at all either. But let's say that, let's yeah. say that if you don't get these people out of the house that they haven't made a payment on in three months, that you and your kids are going to be kicked out of your house because it's causing your bankruptcy. Now you've made a decision ultimately that affects the people you're most responsible for. So you have to understand all of the, the nuances. And even if you kick them out of that house and you say, guys, y'all suck at being tenants, move over here into my basement for a couple of weeks or put your camper on my pro- like whatever. Good for you. But you have to make sure the fundamentals, the economics of it work. Right. Right. Exactly. Politicians right now, like, I don't give a crap what you say. Just make sure the balance sheet's right. Like, good God, grownups, what are y'all doing? <laughs> you know? Wow, man. That's, that's awesome. So, hey, man, can you walk us through the, some of the different types of loans that you've helped military you know, get and some of the successes that you've seen? Maybe some of, the, some, yeah, some of the success stories that you've seen, some of the awesome things that you've been able to help people get. Oh, man. Okay. I know, right? It's probably going to be a lot. Maybe, maybe go for maybe go for for one. We can talk about one, the, the best one. We're covered two because one. Here's what I'll say: my ultimate big, biggest success story with vets and VA stuff. It's mine, and I only say that because, as you can tell, like if I decide to jump in the pool in February, baby, believe it. There's a backflip cannonball or backflip belly buster coming. I'm making a splash, and so all I mean to say is, if I testify that I think something's true, I go all in on it. And I did. And I call that a five-year VA house hustle. And I've worked with other clients in, in the VA lane and in the civilian lane is also, and I'm doing one right now in this house you see here, I just call it a five-year house hustle because I'm not using the VA loan so that I have proof positive of personal use and creating half a million in five years tax-free with a different type of loan, right? But that's what I did with my first residence. So I've taught it to a few other people. I have couples of varying ages that have done it and they've implied different portions. My ultimate success doesn't involve just a house though. I would say it involves two or three other assets as well. And I have a couple of clients that have done that. One of them is nearing very nearing right now, a portion where the second property. So we converted a primary townhome into a rental created about a thousand dollars in cash flow, pulled out some equity, uh, a ton of equity enough to put down money on the new nicer, bigger house. Um, enough for rehab and then enough to fund a couple of reserve instruments also with that move. I'm thinking back, this was like four years ago. And now they're in a place where they've rehabbed this new primary, this house, this townhome they're holding, they may sell it here soon. They're getting close and then they're going to sell their other primary. But the fundamentals of what they've created and cash flow and equity between those two, it's just stupid, especially when you consider the value of the life instruments, the other stuff they're doing with their qualified retirement assets as well and kind of how all of that has a holistic if you're wanting to work toward a a certain names are tom and sharon dunn they're out in colorado she's a realtor she can work with you if you're out in colorado and you want to work with a vet that has worked with me and many other vets or anything else like i'll introduce y'all but my personal story is this with zero dollars down I bought a house for $332,000. I used about 115000 or so cash to rehab it over five years, every penny I could scrape together. And then I sold it for $810,000. Between a cash out refinance at year three, I pulled out roughly 364000 
And at final sale, I deposited around 147000 Between two, those, two events, my vet bank account felt the full of effect of a little over half a million in five years from one primary residence. I, Christopher Griffith, owner of Debt Does Deals, believe passionately that the lowest common denominator to changing your financial existence is and will always be in America your primary residence. And if you believe that, and if you don't know how to make it work, you're right. Even if everyone tells you you're wrong, you're right. I want to tell you you're right. It worked. And it's working again. And I have tons of success cases where it's worked. But I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'll spend the time. Like, test me. Even if you're not in any of my states, this isn't a profit motive thing. Like, I don't care if you take this information, talk shit about me in public, take it to your closet, put it to work, and your kids are better 50 years from now, good. Tell everyone I'm a piece of crap. Just take the medicine I'm giving you. You know what? You anti-vaxxing moms, like the polio vaccine is probably a good thing. And I say that as a person who's generally skeptical of everything. I have three daughters. The TV comes on and it says this movie's been formatted to fit your screen. And I'm thinking, how the, you know what screen I have, <laughs> right? Like I'm skeptical. I get it. Right. The average homeowner, this is a CBO number. The average homeowner is 44 times wealthier than the average renter. That's a duh proclamation. Like, come on. 44 times? Cardone did it with 10X. You know, why does it 40? Anyway. (laughs) Man, all right, guys. I'm telling you, the fire this guy has is impressive. (laughs) Very impressive. So that is so that is amazing, and that's a really really creative way of putting of putting something together. Did you? Can I ask? Like, what did you do to help like appraise that value? Was it was it force appreciation oh, yeah, for rehab, or was it? So I need to move over into ADPI for y'all. I've done during the last year of that five year VA house hustle. I did five videos, and I actually have now a course outline. I'm trying to put this stuff together, but Mike, I'm terrible with it. Ultimately, there's going to be a book and it's going to be a free book, man. I'm not, I'm not going to profit from giving this information to vets and I'm going to make it very visible that I'm not profiting from it just so I can go. (laughs) Oh my God, man. I'm going to cause a bigger value splash for vets. Not to y'all. I didn't mean that to y'all. Don't get me wrong. I'm a capitalist, but here's what I mean to say. If it's the very first starter rung for people and I can create something and give it there, and my, my, my story covers five tenths, right? Market, location, acquisition, which, by the way, those three steps are all before you purchase. If you don't get those right, the next two aren't going to work. Rehab and sell. Sell's the easiest step, and you don't have to sell. VA loans, most states, 100% cash out refinance. Texas, sorry, guys, y'all get screwed. As it turns out, and I say this as a Texan, Texas is a nanny state. If you want to know why, shoot me an email. I'm trying to put together some stuff to get to the legislators to our states. So they quit screwing veterans out of using their earned VA home entitlement. It's happening. I'll tell you how later. All right. I'm putting those videos together. I need to move them into ADPI if y'all want, because they're five, 20, 25 minute long videos where I walk through everything. Each of those tenants what I'm seeing, what I'm relying on to, to get the market right, what I'm looking at to pick the location within the market, what I need as far as acquisition metrics, how I'm buying back in time. Like there are different specific submetrics in there that I think are unique to what I do and teach um, that are great for people to, to see. And I'm having to reshoot all those videos because as it turns out, 
as it turns out, two things. One, listening to me monologue is painful. And two, most people don't have <laughs> 25 minutes to listen to painful things. So I'm breaking them down with some instruction from someone and I still need help on it. But I'm trying to put them into sub videos to create a walkthrough for the whole process. And then I'm going to put an ebook out on it, hopefully, too. Um, again, for free. It's not a profit center for me. It's just something I'm doing to make certain vets have the info. But those videos break it all down, man. And there are books that I can point to, like, to educate people. There's a book that you've seen, seen been going around in there called um, Emerging Real Estate Markets by a guy named David Lindahl. Yeah, great book. You'll read that book two times, and then you're going to live in a market where you see a market cycle happen. Right. And then after it's over, you're going to go, really? It's that easy? And, and, and don't get me wrong. There's some difficulty there. My house in Colorado, my biggest mistake I bought that house because I thought it was the fastest way I could get $150,000 in my pocket. My biggest mistake was not anticipating the abundance mindsets that's likely with growth. That's it. Right? Don't be fearful of possibility. Like, you can lean into it. Do a cannonball. Like, if you believe it, prove it. Don't be a hypocrite. If you say you're going to do it, do a cannonball. And if it turns out it's a frozen lake, then you're going to be on YouTube looking awesome. But whatever. At least you committed, right? At least you committed. You see that video with that chick, right? Mm-hmm. The on the pond, she runs out there to do a cannonball, and she basically, like, pogo sticks on her tailbone, man. It's brutal. But I, uh, I watch that video. I'm like, dude, this chick's got conviction. You, it takes a lot to go cannonball in an icy pond. Like, anyway. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there will be a link to that book too in the show notes page. That's great, man. Hey, I wanted, I want to ask you something. Uh, there was a question that that popped through the thread about a Vendi loan. Can you explain a little bit more about that? is awesome there's a and i have to give credit here because again i'm not the person that knows everything there's a, a very awesome person named amanda bush she lives near me over here in denison texas and insanely like if anyone wants to look up an msa sorry i know this is a little sublet here sherman denison texas is a small msa out of the 26 metropolitan statistical areas in texas and this one's going to be doing some stupid emergent stuff and i post about it daily on my pages so if you want to parallel that book with with stuff that i'm posting mike you're going to be like Oh, damn. Like, it'll be that realistic. But anyways, Amanda Bush, this lady that I met through the Vetpreneur Tribe, she's an investor, also owns some single family property in South Carolina and here in Texas, turned me on to this product. And essentially what it amounts to, it is, 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 it is, right? Those two words turn me up. It is. Out of all of the other ones. There's some crayons right right next to you, buddy. You're going to grab them real quick. red ones are the blood's my favorite color so anyways the <laughs> program is essentially seller financing from the va so here's the beauty for it you if you go to vindy and you and there's a web page you can go to i posted a couple times i can find it and share it with you again it's like vrm yeah, please. Or something um but anyways if you go there as an owner occupant and you buy a property from them zero down same rate same stuff except it's not on your va entitlement well all right Awesome. Well, all right. now, how so, many of these we do? So right. wait, so it stays on their entitlement? Seller financing, essentially. Got it. Okay. So you're assuming their loan, but circle this part and put hugely valuable, come back all around this. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, this is amazing. Right. It's fixing to get even better. Let's say you already have a house that you live in that you bought with a V Vendee financing, zero down, you live in it, and then you vacated it. And you used your entitlement to buy two other homes and then you vacated it and you're going to buy a fourth because you can keep buying homes, right? 
there's no limit. You could go buy another Vendee loan. You <laughs> could have five, six, ten, whatever. There's not really technically a limit to these. You can have a whole profile of homes that you bought with zero down if you're going owner op to owner op, or an even better, which is what I would suggest to do because I think ultimately investment properties, it's probably better to have a margin of some type in. And that's not equity margin per se, because I don't think equity does anything for you. I think it's a waste of space that makes the bank safer. Anyway. Um, but if you're, if you're doing that and you're wanting to buy a property as an investment property or a second home from Vendee, it's 5% down. Wow. So no PMI, no PMI, 5% down, 5% down, no PMI. And that's for an investment property for an investment property. So you can put a renter right in there. Right. Right off the bat. And there's no, yeah, that's, that's like, I need to charge burpees for sharing information just to get some like 10 burpees and I'll tell you. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. So, so can you walk us through what it looks like, right? What the structure looks like. So this is a bank approved loan, but it's an owner finance transaction. The VA finance. So it works off the same VA guarantee with VA. It's not one that I've used personally, full disclosure. This is something that I've stumbled into a little while. I would say probably about a month ago now, and I've been beating it up pretty bad. Um, I'm definitely going to go through a round of acquisitions with it. I'm talking to a couple people that have used one now. I've got a few conversations set up with Vindy people, and then also a person that has five homes on one VA entitlement. So I've got some theories important. But reality is important, right? So I'm talking to a couple of people that have walked through them. It's a little bit different in every situation, um, but essentially what it amounts to is just the VA self-financing it and the same, like you can do it with a lot of different lenders. Wow. And there have to be specific uh, VA people that you talk to to make this happen, right? You can't just go to uh, any lender. Correct. It. Okay. Wow. Okay. So guys, listen to this. This is an amazing an amazing asset here. Please send us that link because um, I'd like to cue that in with the show notes um, because that that is cool and just give some kind of resource for, for folks to go out and check it out um, because Watch that's impressive. Real quick, I'm sending you a link over on. Um, hold on one second. Oh, you can't post in a podcast, anyways. My bad. Keep going. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, just yeah, you can you can send it to me afterwards. But um, but yeah, that that's that's really cool. So, uh, so tell us about the, can we talk real quick about the state of the market now? I mean, I know that when we spoke on the phone last time, we were talking about how, you know, the, the rates, right? The VA loan rates have kind of taken a dip. Yeah. So man, and this is something you need to get out to everybody in your community. And again, this is one of those things like, I don't call me, I don't need a profit from this. If you have an interest rate on a VA loan that you're living in, and I would say it's north of 4.625, 4.5%, maybe somewhere right there. You need to get in touch with, and this part matters, you need to get in touch with a broker, a mortgage broker. They're an independent, non-captive, and this is important, mortgage loan originator, and they work off of, one, they have to disclose 100% of everything that they're going to make to you, the borrower, which none of the other lenders you're going to encounter will. Two, they don't have overlays, which most of the other lenders you're going to encounter do because they have warehouse lines. So they, when I say captive, they have places that they're likely going to send you before they meet you wait a second, how do you know what I'm going to do before you meet me? Like that's that whole skeptical thing, right? Mm. If I'm positioning myself to put you somewhere before I meet you, then I can't really be pursuing your highest and best. As an independent broker, I can work with everybody. Quicken, Loan Depot, B of A, 
I do not use any of those companies because they suck and neither should you guys. Veterans United, stay away. USAA, you're going to pay higher on everything, car insurance, mortgage rates. Auto financing, as it turns out, is like a, a win-win with those guys. I don't, they're idiots, man. I told you what they did for me on my truck before, but um, mortgage brokers are going to beat up these VA rates. And if you're at above that, that 4.625, 4.75, which was exceptionally common six months ago, I'm telling you right now, and I don't, with all the disclosure rules, I'll just tell you, like, if you go to a mortgage broker, not me, this isn't an offer, so none of that, you're likely to save around five-eighths, three-quarters of a point right now. Like it's significant with no cost too in certain situations if you're doing a straight Earl. For the FHA financiers out there, same kind of a thing. So that 4.625 and higher interest rate that you're carrying on those loans, that's a target indicator, guys. Y'all need to talk to somebody today because the rates aren't, they've held for about four days now, which is a little odd. The stock market has been rising a little bit. This was all, there's a lot that led into this and I'm not going to go you know, put everyone to sleep around that. Uh, but it's still holding for some really weird reason right now. As far as the overall shape of the economy and where we're at, like we can go through that. You know, I'm a passionate about it. Like my why there is just as founded as everything else. I'm in a market where I think is going to be the best scenario over the next five to seven years after this last growth period that we've had. And I can go through kind of a macro approach to what I think about it and why, and even provide that same kind of a, a March movement metaphor that I used before that'll help people kind of visualize. Right, right, right. Hey, real quick, um, you mentioned a couple of things and I want to want to dissect them. Um, but can you tell us the difference, right? And I think you, you started to, but I want to make it very clear, the difference between a mortgage broker and a lender, right? Oh, absolutely. So there's a couple different. So you have <clears throat> depository lenders. This is the worst place because most of the time a mortgage guy doesn't have to carry any kind of licensing. And actually, if he does, it's a liability to the depository. This is the bank you take your cash to. They're experts in savings, deposits, CDs maybe, but not mortgages and definitely not Govy mortgages. Most of the time they may not even do them and they certainly don't do them below FICO scores at a certain level. So those local depository lenders, that's one type of lender. And I would say that's probably the least advantageous for everyone out there. Can you give us some examples of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Marine Federal Credit Union, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, any place that has a depository. Right. So if you're talking about Veterans United, Loan Depot, Quicken Loans, those are bank lenders, but they're not depositories. So they're here. Okay. So they're going to lend you money of their own and they're even servicing it. Right. But they're not a depository. So they have to be licensed. They have different regulations. And this is the BS thing, the crap in the industry that actually fights the little guys that do the most for the client because all of the big guys have lobbying power and money. Like I tell everybody, have you seen your mortgage company on TV? Yeah. So I know you paid too much. Anyways, the problem here here is interest. You have the depository lender. You have the non-bank lender. You have something called a mini correspondent lender. And all of these people here, you as a consumer will never see what they make. You'll never see what they get paid. It all happens on the interest rate behind the scenes. You'll never see a total true picture of anything. You're going to have to go gut a little bit unless you know enough about the industry to calculate some internal margins and BS and some, like it's dumb. But anyways, over here, this little segment, it's independent. Just like you would shop car insurance through an independent Uh, insurance agent, or you would go to a financial advisor that may be independent, right? That's not fee-based. They win when you win and they can work with anybody and everybody. You want someone that has the most options because at the end of the day, the guy with the most options usually wins. 
If you go to a broker, they're not going to be captive, right? They have licenses. They're regulated the hardest, and you see 100% of everything that their company makes. It is the best channel for the consumer without a doubt. I'll argue it till I'm dead. Like, I left a family company that I helped build. I walked away from all of those things. I'm the only one in my family that does this, right? Uh, right. <laughs> like, I walked away from those things that I helped build. And when I say help build them, I did the majority of the volume there, the loan volume for the five years I was there. I helped build them. I created those referral relationships. We didn't buy those leads with company money. I went out belly to belly with agents. Wow. Right. Christopher. Okay. Brokerages have the ability to not hold you captive to their preferred places of funding. Your ability to get things done, right? Money doesn't make or break anything. Debt does. Debt does deals, right? So what your ability to do something is ultimately determined by the terms of the debt available. The problem with all of these lenders that I was describing in this space, they're not going to operate under VA. They're going to operate under VA, and then they've made their box under VA, meaning they have overlays. They have things that prevent you from using their entitlement because they don't think that you should be able to do that. Well, that's not fair. Like, that's not how it works. Like, right. you let him show up drunk for, for PT. Like, maybe I want to show up a little blitz. Not like drunk drunk, but maybe just a buzz. Like, right? Why can't I have a beer right before we run one? <laughs> I'm just saying, whatever the dumb rule is, make it a dumb rule across the board so there's some consistency and I can play around your dumb rules. That's my point. That's why they're great in the Marine Corps. Like, shut up in colors, my game. Like, let me see the rule book. You're going to lose, right? I'm sorry. That's the way my brain works. So, Right. You have to get that same way of thinking in debt. You have to earn, you have to learn to plan with debt like you would plan with money. You have to see a, a debt opportunity as a room inspection and you have to learn how to set it up regardless of how stupid it is. You have to know how to set it up. So when you get there, you pass and you don't have to spend all weekend field day because that sucks. Right. Right. It's the same exact way, but people don't know how to plan with debt because it's too complex. It's too complicated. That's true, man. That's true. A lot of people don't understand how it works. And that's one of the reasons why Robert Kiyosaki likes to talk about financial literacy, right? And how to leverage debt against, you know, uh, in terms of building assets, like you were talking about earlier, a lever, using it as a lever to put yourself up and get ahead, right? Well, so. There's something else to do with it too. A lever takes efficient use of something called time. And that's the biggest thing you need. I believe people go through four phases in life. Very true. I haven't read any of Robert Kiyosaki stuff yet. I need to, but I believe people go through four phases and they go from a renter mindset to a homeowner mindset to an investor mindset. And then ultimately a retired mindset that only those portions of that whole thing you just saw, they're not equal. Nope. Because I, in each stage, the di biggest difference from the person as they move from one stage to the next is the amount of time that they're actively concerning planning for. When you're a renter, you're a renter. And sometimes that lasts for a longer period of time than when you're a retired, right? But when your time perspective is this big, when you're a homeowner, your time perspective is this big, right? So when you jump to that homeowner, but you could stay a homeowner all the way through retirement. When you become an investor, your time planning is this big, right? And then ultimately, when you're retired, you're planning for the largest chunk of time ever. And because of that, you take a proactive nature to making certain of things at least the best that you can. And I think ultimately, that's where we need to live as far as our mindset, even if we're having to rent, meaning you're moving towards and you're setting up for those increases in intervals. And that four stages I've heard of paralleled with um, Kiyosaki has like a cash flow uh, thing. Quadrant. Yeah. Right. That quadrant. And I haven't, I don't, I don't it's, know what that it's, is. It's similar. So it's very similar to what you've 
what you've kind of described, but it's more of um, it's more of a mindset and it's more of understanding how tax and time plays into your wealth and wealth ability, essentially. Right. So he talks about the the E, the I, the S and the B quadrants. And when you're on the E and the S side of that quadrant, you're an employee or you're self-employed. Right. And you're working for your time or you're working for your money and your time, your time is associated for the money that you bring in. And anytime you don't spend on that job, you're not making any money, but you're also paying the highest tax. Now, if you're on the I and the B side of that quadrant, you know, you're a business owner or you're an investor, your time is more available to you to leverage, to do whatever you need. And the money is essentially working for you but you're and also paying less tax. So that's the yeah. best explanation I've heard of it. That helps because time is something that you have to get on your side. And if you yes. can't get it on your side with your value, you have to get your obligation currency, which is bigger than your value currency. You have to get your obligation ter- currency to buy you that ability to start compounding time. Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Yes, it he is. Did not say amortized interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Meaning he was more concerned with compounding growth than offsetting cost. Fear is the worst of motivators. Um, what's his name on uh, Jack Ma from Alibaba said it the best way. He said, poor is best described as a state of mind. <laughs> as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, it's so true. It is. <laughs> it's best described as a state of mind. The poor people don't want to invest. Poor people don't want to take a chance. They only want to save. And if you're saving money, all of you guys out there listening to Dave Ramsey, you're assuring one thing. And let me tell you what that one thing is. Money assuredly does one thing and it loses value every moment. Yes, it does. If you're hoarding money, you're ensuring that you're going to have less. And that's why I think God's commodity, God talks about you can't fill your grain house right? Mm. People think that debt's bad. I've got a news for them. A dollar is a federal reserve note. It is debt. The, the, the monetary currency is debt itself. And God said, give to Caesar what's his. He's like, I don't want that. <laughs> Amen. Wow, so man. What I'm saying Freaking is if you really pay attention to the story of the talents. What you're going to see is if you're filling your grain house with money, then you're a wicked and evil servant who's taking his one talent and burying it. You could have deposited it with a banker and at least earned a little interest. You could have invested it like everyone else and done much better. Take risks. Concern yourself with growing. Don't be fearful and hold back from the things that you're being called to do. Amen. Here's the first motivator. Don't be poor. And I'm not talking about how much money you have. I'm talking about the mindset that you attack this world with. Man, we just got taken to church, y'all. We just got taken to church. That's awesome, though. I, I definitely love it. And that message is absolutely right. Do not let fear hold you back. If there's something you don't know, get educated, get connected, and take action and learn it. All right? That's awesome. And he, and he mentioned a really good point, too. We had a podcast with Jason Hartman, and he was talking about inflation-induced debt destruction and how the value of that dollar over the life of your mortgage, right, depreciates. I mean, it does. You know, if you're paying $1,000 a month for 30 years. 30 years, $1,000 is nothing. Yeah, $1,000 is nothing. Or we can pay our mortgage. Hmm. Exactly, right? So when you take a depreciating asset and you use it to secure at the same point before it depreciates an appreciating asset, that's why the rich get richer. And that's why the poor stay poor. Everyone thinks hard work's the key. Hard work's important, but not if you don't plan like what to do with the things that you're doing. Like you, right. you so much to stay ahead. 
You have exactly. to leverage your, your value. So That's right, man. Damn, Chris, this was good, man. Really, really good. I appreciate all the wisdom here. And we're going to have Chris back. First, way better than our first conversation. I know, right? Way better than our first conversation. <laughs> Chris, I know. Like, I, get, <laughs> I get done on Facebook. I'm like, hey, Mark Ian, I'm seeing a red dot on my chest. Can you call your boy Mike off? Like, ah, Facebook seemed to piss him off. <laughs> I don't know, man. For those who are on Facebook, might have seen it. Chris and I got off to a really rough start. But I'm telling you that this, this guy's a great guy. I mean, it's. It's one of those things, you know, it, you get butt heads because you've got people who are so passionate about stuff and yet have one difference of opinion and then maybe they'll just go off on, on each other. But hey, dude, it was good. It was good, man. And a right. lot of good lessons. Besides, lot. I mean, after talking to me, like imagine like all of this trying to come out. Yeah, man. Stick to crayons, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's awesome, man. Hey, make sure you guys go out and connect with Chris. We're, speaking of which, where can they connect with you, man? I would say I'm most active on Facebook, honestly. um, I have a few pages, my personal page. If you send me an invite to my personal page, shoot me a message too because I get so many false flag invites over there. I really don't accept anyone unless I know them for sure. I'm that whole mutual friends thing. Most of those guys are already infiltrators anyway. So um, you can also find me at Debt Does Deals on Facebook or Christopher Griffith, Mortgage Loan Originator. Both of those professional pages and my personal page. I'm going to take you to the bonus round. Even though you're a crayon-eating Marine, I'm sure you probably don't read any books, but do you have any favorite ones? <laughs> books, favorite books? I do. Honestly, I'll tell everyone right off the bat, we need to cover this portion. This is probably my biggest parallel to help people understand the value of debt as I see it. But the first thing I'll tell you is like, I read the Bible every day. I'm big on that. I think that if you read through Psalms, if you read through... Um, Psalms, Job, a lot of those things, a lot of the depression and PTSD problems and everything. A lot of us think that we're going through uniquely. We're not. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things have been around for man to deal with for centuries. And that book helps me a lot to get through some of those more challenging things that I face on a personal level, honestly, how I engage with people, my why. Um, other books I would say are fundamental. There's this book out there. It's written by a friend, an uh, actual business owner. Um, I have a All business, right. with, but his name is Will Duffy. This book is called The Other Side of the Coin. It's a book on mortgages, and I don't know if you can see it real well, but it basically says 12 truths about home buying you'll never learn from a bank. Okay. That's great because it's going to illustrate some of the very fundamental facts to what types of debt, why, um, across some different assets. That emerging real estate market would be the book I would point people to. It's by David Lindahl, L-I-N-D-A-H-L. I point people to that book because – I think that there's a lot of gurus out there, but Dave does a great job of, of writing and making it, uh, putting it in a way. He was a landscaper before he was an apartment guru. I was a framer. Like I need a, I need a redneck to break this down for me. And he's from Jersey. So he's not like that type of redneck, but he's still kind of got that wow. redneck. So, but it'll help you see the markets that are out there. So understanding the market, understanding fundamental uses of leverage is great. And then there's a really good book out there. And this one's again, soul searching. And I'll end with this one. But it's called Free Yourself, Be Yourself. Free it was a really yourself, good book. Be Yourself. Yeah. And it is, hold on, let me pull up the author of that one real quick. I read it. It's been a while since I need to go back through that one. But it helped me about five years ago. I've read it a couple different times. And it helped me to understand some stuff and it helped me to walk through a few things with my children and ultimately some of my business partners um, and, and a lot of people. But it was, it was really big on my development as a person. 
Wow. I've got three daughters and I'm 33. Like I'm into that full dad mode. Like, listen, here's how you work on your bank account. Here's how you work on your, your attitude. Here's how you work on your temper. <laughs> like, yeah, man. I believe it. The other thing I'll tell you all out there, all you married guys, porn will destroy your marriage. Oh, that one's going to Oh, man. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Before we go down that rabbit hole, let me stop you there. <laughs> Let's just stick to the questions, man. Oh, Jesus. All right, here we go. Um, Alan Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And that's Alan Wright. Alan Wright. Okay. Free Yourself, Be Yourself by Alan Wright. We'll definitely be a link to all those books in the show notes page for sure. The one thing oh, that people can goodness. trust about me is that, like, I love y'all. I care for y'all. I'll break myself off because I, I care for you too much to try to leave you where you're at. But if I'm painting a picture you're not going to ask me not to use seven of the colors that I want to use. I'm going to paint with all the colors I want to use. If you look at my picture and you're like, I don't like that picture. I don't like that color, whatever, but it's my picture. That's fair. That's fair. It all fits into my one thing and it's all central. And after about two or three conversations, Mike, it'll be pretty apparent why I'm so passionate and what my true passion is. And, Mm -hmm. And even all the joking and all the play and stuff aside, like, it's too important not to hit home on. So we'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that one later. Absolutely. All right, man. Question number two, who's your biggest hero and why? My biggest hero and why? Honestly, I would say I've had a lot of different heroes and mentors over my life. Um, and in no weird way, I would say my biggest hero at this point um, would be my wife. She is, she has a degree. Um, she's a stay at home mom. Now she homeschools our three daughters. She's, she helps me with all of the accounting stuff in my business. She does. She carries so much water. She runs the household. Like when we're doing things, she's driving places. And I'm basically a fourth kid that she's shooing around because I'm like this all day, like working on another thing. Um, she selfish, like selflessly serves our family in a way that allows me to invest into things like you see me doing here. Like, when I get into something, I get into it and I need to be off weird in the rain. And my wife allows me to not forsake my family, the most important thing. And at the same time, do the thing that I'm kind of funky, kind of called to do. But she is the glue that holds everything together. And we have a very specific relationship. Don't get me wrong. I, I certainly fill in those parts. But my wife, my partner, um, definitely my biggest hero because I've seen her do some of the most selfless things that I've seen any human do ever. Right. Okay. Amen, man. Amen. That's good. That's really good stuff. Um, all right. And then the last question, um, what three nuggets, if you could break it down to three or less, whatever, right. Do you have for those who are just getting started? He's writing them down. (laughs) This is important to get right. Hold on. Yeah. He's trying to choose the right crayon, guys. That's you <laughs> make sure you have the right color crayon. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to try to break this down in a similar vein to what I've already said because I think it fits pretty well. Mm-hmm. You heard me say earlier: you need time to save, you need time to learn, and you need time to invest. Right? Time to learn, time to plan, save, plan, learn, invest. Right. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with a few different 
key things. One, you need reserves. Two, you need education. And three, you need to work up, get gear ready, set everything for your deployment. So y'all have that. Y'all do something about teaching deployment or something. So am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, pre-deployment training. Yeah, we, I mean. No, 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 no. I meant, I meant with ADPI. There's oh. like some unit label oh, or something. Oh, rapid deploy. You talking about rapid deploy program? Yeah, it's our coaching program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, you're going to have to get ready to get into some sort of mentoring, coaching, deployment phase where you're going to have other experts that are doing the same thing as you, not just teaching it, but doing it accountable. I saw Mark in just bought a property the other day, so that's great. I think that that is a doing is the best educator, right? Yep. But someone else says you need time to save, you need time to plan, you need time to invest, you need reserves, education, and deployment. Those three things, I think, are really fundamental because, you one, you don't know what's going to happen in reserves. And I don't mean cash because cash is garbage. Liquidity is king. Liquidity compounds. Cash does the opposite of compound. Mm. Degrades. Anyway. But you have to have something there, even if it's a placeholder. And what I mean by this is now that I'm investing where I'm at, I want a couple hundred in liquidity generally at all times to make sure that I have a stupid amount of payments. I don't want some. I want a stupid amount. Because if everything gets crappy, I'll wait a couple of years before we leave my biggest security. That's why non-recourse lenders are okay lending on big assets in a non-recourse manner because the debt service coverage ratio on the property is likely to yield their mortgage payment for eternity. And they know that. So reserves are something significant there to, to plan with. Education, figure out what you want to do. Um, if you have to kiss a bunch of frogs, as they say, kiss some frogs, man. Figure out what you want to do, why you want to do it. Try to get everything to come in to where you have T-Rex arms and everything you touch is like this. So it's real close to chest. My, my why is actually my whole life why from my business to my family, to my job, to my faith. It's all one. There's another book out there called, um, the, uh, it's by Gary Keller. It's called, um, the one thing, the one thing. There we go. Yep. Great. You read book. It? Yeah. I know that book too. Well. That's I've a really, really book. good one. If you guys have not read that book, read it. I haven't even finished it. I've read it through halfway twice, but what I can tell you is, like I was in this place before I started reading that book where that, like I read this book and I'm like, deja vu. Like what the heck? You know what I mean? But that for me is where I'm at. Everything's central. Like, and people are going to kind of blow their, it's going to mess with them a little bit when I share my faith piece on it. But um, you need to, those places, those educators, you need to get into that. You need to make sure it's all central so that you're not running all over the place, losing. Um, you don't want to have 99 projects that you're working on in five minute intervals, right? That's not successful. Exactly. And then three, you want to get to a place of deployment. You have to have an actual plan. You have to have a roster. You have to have a gear lift. You have to have a, a macro strategy. You have to have all of these things. It can't just be like, okay, I've got 10 grand. Let's go buy a house. Exactly. Yeah, well, Not how it works. That, just give me your 10 grand. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much again. Really appreciate your time. Um, this has been a great great uh, educational podcast. And we're definitely going to have you on here again because we got more to talk about, a lot more to talk about. Um, so uh, yeah, man, is there anything finally you want to say to the guests before we roll out? I would just say, guys, listen, even if you're buying investment properties, renting's a terrible idea. You can buy you a house or you can buy guys like me and Mike another house. <laughs> you're buying a house. <laughs> all right, all right. Thanks again, guys. And thanks again, Chris. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you so much, man, for your time, Chris. Thank you for coming on the show. This was amazing. And thank you, 
all for listening. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you do that. We've got a lot of awesome guests that are coming onto the show. Also, make sure you connect with us on our Facebook group because there's a lot of stuff happening. You can reach out to Chris there, and he is constantly active there. Um, also, make sure you check out our Start the Spark Club because that page is blowing up as well. That's our little forum. If you don't know what it is, there's links to that in the show notes page as well. Uh, and schedule a call. If you're ready to figure out you know, three things that you can do to move forward in 2019, schedule a call with us. Make sure that we... Uh, that you ask us the questions that you have because we're here to help you, right? That's what we're all about. And if you're ready to take action on some mentorship and some coaching, make sure you check out our page, www.activedutypassiveincome.com, and we are glad to help you out. All right, I'm out of time. I'll catch you guys later.